On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. You're listening to the Indo Daily, but first. When I got out to the Wicklow Mountains, when I came to the end of the line, I, I felt this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I'm Nicola Talent, and every week you can hear stories about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld on my podcast, Crime World. This was a stitch up from start to end. I talk to those who get up close and personal with gangsters mobsters and notorious criminals. They have taught in every conceivable way of disguising cocaine. Crime World is available wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, the return of the fans. After two years of COVID-19 disruption and false starts, fans are making a welcome return to stadiums. The GAA's National Leagues have begun, the Six Nations Rugby starts this weekend, and the League of Ireland Football is just weeks away. I'm Fiannan Sheen, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm talking to Ger Kevill, Digital Sports Editor for Independent.ie, and Sinead Kassan, Special Correspondent for Sport across the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and Independent.ie, about full capacities, the impact of the last two years, and the pandemic hangovers. So Ger, I was watching... TG Carr at the weekend, All-Ireland Champions Tyrone against Monaghan, a humdinger, a last injury time minute kick that could have won the game. And the fans sitting above him to stand in Oma, getting in the milling rain and the wind and the howling cold coming across them and literally looking at them going, God, I wish I was there. Isn't it great to have people back? And do you think there's going to be any reluctance on fans' part to go back into full stadia? Or do you think people are just gunning for it now at this stage? Where else would you want to be on a cold January evening than in a stadium with the rain lashing down on you for you on 100%? Um, yeah, look, I don't see any reluctance at all. I'll flash back here to when restrictions were lifted last October. And there was a couple of games. I mean, we played Portugal in the Aviva, which was a full house. It's been a long time since I saw tickets sell so quickly. There was 51,000 there. Um, the buzz is something and the, the anticipation I have not experienced in a stadium in many a year. Now, it wasn't a huge game. We're not, we, we, we knew we weren't going to qualify. But the fact that we were all back and like matches like that are a lot more about the match. It's meeting your friends. It's meeting the people you haven't seen in so long. Um, we were all back there having a few drinks beforehand and just enjoying the moment. I don't see there being a reluctance at all. Like 51,000 crammed into that stadium. They were all in the concourses, you know, enjoying themselves. We went to Luxembourg a few days later, about 2,000 Irish fans. 
And they were very strict over there on the passes going into the pubs and, and whatever. But I mean, once you were in there, it was it was a free for all. It was like it was like old times. There was certainly no reluctance there, um, and there was certainly a big anticipation and a big sense of excitement. Sinead, from your perspective. I know Kerry people traditionally only go to finals, so you're 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 never busy till later in the season. But have you? Do you think people are going to see big changes in stadia and how they operate and how they accommodate kind of the concerns or anxieties that that fans might have about circulating in large crowds? Well, I think that's going to be down to the individual, really. I mean, I think probably for the first time ever, I was delighted to hear that there was a 15 minute delay going into. Uh, uh, Newbridge on Sunday for our Kerry's game against Kildare. Now, we've seen stuff like that before, but to see the crowds piling in, of course, there was so much around this game. It wasn't just the lifting of restrictions. There was, you know, obviously the new management uh, in Kildare. There was Jack O'Connor going back to the team that he had left then to take over the kingdom. So, But just to see the crowds piling in, I tell you, when I saw it on t- TV, I was delighted to see it. And I suppose then you could say, you know, Crow Park then on Saturday night, there was kind of some uh, expectation there could be up to 40 or even 50,000 at Crow Park for the Dublin RMA game. It didn't quite turn out that way. Only, there was 22,000, which is still a good uh, turnout for a league game. But I think I think people were, you know, really excited about the start of this league. I think the, the restrictions came in time for the league as well because, you know, it you know, came at the right time of the month for them. So I think there is a general excitement. But the stuff we've seen before, like 15-minute delays and all that kind of stuff, is stuff that has happened before, before the pandemic. So I think... Like everyone getting into society, I think it'd be very much down to the individual and whether, you know, they'll feel that when time is right for them to go into a stadium, if it is full or whatever. What do you think has has changed, though, in the, in the last two years? Do you think it's literally just turning the clock back? I mean, I'm just looking at, at small things like people not carrying cash as much uh, anymore. That was obviously a big thing when you were going to a game, a few drinks or a bit of lunch beforehand, just how people have go about their lives have, have just changed in terms of, of queuing and and so on and so forth. Do you see that filtering through to, to sporting arenas or do you just think, ah, look, people know if you're inside in a crowd of 50,000 people, you're going to be hanging around with, with large numbers? I think people do know and they do understand it. I think an important point to raise at this time as well is the fact that the price of living, the cost of living in Ireland, you know, has increased while many people's wages haven't. So I think people will have to, you know, people are being that bit more prudent about, you know, whether they can afford to go to games if, you know, if the prices go up. I mean, looking back to last November, it was the first time since February 2020 that there was no limit on capacity in the Aviva Stadium for Ireland's games against Japan, the All Blacks and Argentina. And yes, Yes, the All Blacks was a sellout, but Japan and Argentina wasn't because of the cost of tickets. So that also has to be taken into account for people that they're probably a bit more wary of the money that they have in their pocket now. I mean, a, Japan, a ticket for the upper stand, let's say, for example, in for the game against Japan was 80 euro. It was 85 euro for Argentina. Are people going to have that same kind of disposable income to spend on games like that? And, you know, it's kind of, it's money the IRFU are desperate need of. So I think people will be weighing up a lot of things. But I think like society in general, I think once we get more used again to being around crowds. I think people will go back in, but it'll be very much down to the individual as well. For example, I was at the Munster Club football semi-final in Tralee just before Christmas and I went to my mother 
Now she's over 70 years of age and, you know, we might have gone into the stand, but this time she kind of just felt more comfortable going to the terrace because, you you know, there would be that bit more space between people. If she wanted to move, she could move. So I think it'll come down to, you know, everyone's individual choices as well. Jar, what about the the players? Uh, the idea of of playing at home or or away and having a, a big crowd normally does have an impact on the players on the pitch. So we did have those surreal situations of watching uh, large games with either very small crowds or, or no crowds at all. Do you think it it'll put more pressure back on players now, or do they prefer obviously to have a the buzz of the crowd about them? God, we all remember those days watching in empty stadiums and you're just thinking it's not really made. You know, football is meant to be played in front of fans and that's the bottom line. Funny enough, there has been some players that have kind of come out and said, well, I kind of preferred it without fans because you can hear the instructions on the pitch. You don't hear the abuse, but I think they were few and far between. I remember like Matt Doherty after the game in November and how he just said that, look, having having fans there, it changes my game. I'm a different player. It's as simple as that. I think... The likes of Ireland struggled big time when the stadium was half empty, when it was empty against Finland and teams like this. You look at Liverpool who feed off the, the, the crowd. They were unstoppable when they won the league. You know, they, they came back. The full season then after was, you know, it started off with no fans and they struggled. They just, you know, you talk about the famous atmosphere at Anfield and how it, there was a lot, the famous old saying that the cop can suck the ball into the back of the net, you know, like that wasn't there with such, with a team that, with a club that's historically so aligned to their fans and they suffered big time over that. So like it, it, it certainly looked, players play, in general players play better when there is a raucous crowd behind them and that's, that's the way it always has been, so. Yeah, I think you mentioned it there as well, Ger. I mean, you know, when you go to, like I was at games, like during the height of the lockdown at Six Nations games, I mean, the atmosphere was so eerie. It is something you would never, ever get used to. And I remember specifically for the uh, Ireland-England Six Nations game uh, last year, I remember CJ Sanders saying afterwards, you know, when they went into the dress room, leading England 20, point to six, uh, 20 points to six at halftime. And CJ sta- said that they were in the dress room and they were just saying, imagine the roar of the crowds that would have been there if we were running into the dress room at halftime you know, with that kind of lead. And I think it gave them that energy of just imagining what the crowd would be like. Uh, you know, so I, they absolutely do feed off the crowd. I think for, you look at the way Ireland played <laughs> against New Zealand and it was, you know, it was the crowd feeding off them, them feeding off the crowd. I do think it would bring out a lot more in players and I can't imagine how difficult it was, but it was so, it was so strange being there with no one there. I remember one time, like even the first games back in August 2020, um, a guy working in the technical area, he opened a can of 7-Up at one stage during the match and people just looked around because a can was being opened because that was the noise it created in such a kind of a quiet stadium. So, oh, I can't wait for the crowds being back there now uh, this weekend for the Wales game. It's going to be something. Shed, just... Looking at that Wales game this weekend, I suppose people realise just how serious this COVID thing was two years ago when when Ireland and Italy uh, in the Six Nations got got cancelled at 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 the time. Can you cast your mind back then? What what was the feeling across sport? Did did people think this is just a temporary little little arrangement? There's only going to be a, a a bit of a blip for for a couple of weeks. We'll be back to normal by the summer. I think that was the initial feeling, all right, was when is this going to be back? Because we didn't think it would last as long. And then the longer it went on, this kind of fear kind of grew almost, when when will it be back? You know, because it had such a devastating financial impact 
you know, on all the sporting bodies in Ireland. I mean, the RFU, you know, they came out and spoke about the deficits that they suffered. Um, like last year, for example, they reported a deficit of 10 million. Now, that was for the year ending July 31st, 2021. They had a 36 million deficit reported for the previous year, 2020. You have to remember as well, so much of the RFU income is based on is generated by the men's national senior team, 80%, which just goes to show how fundamental it is to have large crowds at Ireland's home games. So I think at the time, we didn't realise how long it would go on. Then the longer it went on, the greater the fear grew of you didn't quite know when the end was coming. Sure, there was there was kind of stops and starts during the, during the pandemic. And... I suppose, what did that indicate to us about how much people miss sport? Because as you say, whenever there was an opportunity for, for fans to go back, tickets did, did sell out quite rapidly. Well, you look at Bohemians, European run, and they played the games in the Aviva Stadium. And I think there was anywhere between six and 9,000 tickets available. And they were snapped up in, I remember, in half an hour most times. And there was ardent Bose fans really struggling like to get tickets for these games, you know. And they create a great atmosphere, uh, they were boisterous but it showed to me and talking to someone involved in Bohemians they said that they could have sold three or four times what they had there could have been 30,000 some of them games which is phenomenal for a League of Ireland team a phenomenal attendance um, but it just got that was at the height of you know there was there was pent up kind of frustration at that stage you know people really wanted to get back to it this was a chance we saw it then with you know sporadically we came back there was a stage then when I think we were up to 50%. Um, we played Azerbaijan in, I think it was maybe September. Again, Azerbaijan at home, only 25,000 tickets, but they sold fairly quick, you know, and I think in, 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 in other times, we may not have saw that uh, attendance for a game like that. Also, the, the friendly against Qatar had a good crowd. So you could see then people miss sport. Like I remember casting my mind back to the pressing, the pressing days in May 2020 and watching, I think, the first sport return was a golf event. Rory McIlroy, uh, Matthew Wolf, Dustin Johnson, and I think probably Colin Marikawa. Like they're playing in their shorts with no caddies because that wasn't allowed. No crowds. And it was kind of depressing. And like you're looking at that for a while. You're looking at League of Ireland TV with 200 fans and you're just going, once we get back, I'm going to every sporting event I can. Well, definitely the sense that you won't take things for granted as well. I, I still have that in me that I, I won't take for granted again, you know, being able to stand on the terrace in Fitzgerald Stadium in Killarney with the McGillicuddy Reeks in the background and just watching Kerry play with the sun coming down. And yeah, it's something like that. It's an occasion. And that's why, you know, being in a place like the Aviva Stadium when fans weren't there, you miss that sense of occasion of people in the stadium validating what you saw. The, yes, that was a great time. And just the, and you get you get an energy, you know, as well as the players. I think people who go to games get an energy from it, from being around their family, from being around their friends, being around other supporters. And I think that energy was definitely missed in the height of the lockdown. You know, you guys on that team that day, you know, like Will Connors, you know, who were making their debuts and their parents weren't there to, to see them. And I remember specifically um, Andy Farrell mentioning that, that he felt for the parents who weren't there to kind of, you know, see that great day that their sons were making their, their Ireland debut. So, yeah, it was definitely kind of that empty feeling. And I think everyone who goes to it will have that appreciation. I think it would be something nice to hold on to that sense of, you know, that you know, you're privileged to be at a game again because we went so long without them. 
Sure, there's a few hangovers though from from COVID. You'd have to say. What about the vaccination status of players, whether they're they're professional or amateur? Obviously, we saw this to the nth degree, I suppose, with with Novak Djokovic. We we did see it though breaking out kind of within within the GA as well around about last summer. Do you think players have a have a right? to their privacy in, in that regard or do you, do you see this becoming a, an overarching issue in years to come? Don't see it becoming an, an overarching issue in years to come simply because we seem to be moving out slightly out of that phase now. Like We're obviously not saying the pandemic is over. We could have a big wave in a few months. There could be the vaccine debate again but I think for the moment that's kind, that's kind of ship has sailed somewhat. Um, obviously we had the big issue with Callum Robinson um, which I suppose was our own, Novak Dokovic. Uh, I think on a positive note, the, the take-up has been quite good amongst Sinead will probably have better numbers for the rugby team. But the Ireland soccer team, it does have a good uptake. Um, look, we know every player, they need to take responsibility. Like you look across the water, I think in the Premier League had a very low uptake at the start, I think 30, 40%. But over time, that kind of grew. I think they're up to nearly 80%. And I think a lot of that's true probably educating the players a bit more and talking to them. They got doctors in. Liverpool had doctors in explaining to the players and they have a 99% uptake. So maybe there was a bit of jock culture. Maybe there was a bit of, well, look, we're young, fit athletes. We don't need this. And maybe they, what they needed was someone to kind of sit them down and explain the importance of this rather than polarising debate. I think that has happened in the, in the Premier League and we've seen the results. I think it probably did happen in some of the Ireland camps as well. I think, it, you know, there was probably... We, they gave them that information they told them look listen to the experts and that has helped so I, th- I think we're on the right the right track with that Yeah there was that contrast Sinead I suppose between sports people being role models and then you also have people who are who are very uh, protective I suppose of, of what 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 they put into to their their body so there was that that slight contradiction there that that people got suspicious if if a player wasn't coming out firmly saying I've got the vaccine yeah but you know at the end of the day it is you know the players uh, privacy as well and I think sporting bodies were encouraging all players but at the end of the day it is their choice um whether to get the vaccine or not, not it is their individual choice. I mean, as you know, Jar mentioned the Callum Robinson story last autumn. I mean, that stretched right into Liveline that caused uh, such a debate. And I remember getting on to the RFU uh, around the time uh, that broke and they said that 99.2% at the time now of Ireland's professional players and coaching staff had received COVID-19 uh, vaccines. And uh, so that was, you know, an incredible uh, uh, uptake and probably reflective of society in general. Sure, uh, we, we've touched on the financial side, and of course, having the, the fans back, it's, it's, it means that you can you can sell tickets, you can sell more more merchandise at, at the stadium. You have the the hospitality and, and the VIP packages uh, back. What's what's the financial black hole that um, COVID has left with our, our sporting organisations, or or like everybody else, did they just have to deal with it, and and government helped them out? Yeah, well, as Sinead said, I think the RFU have reduced their deficit to 10 million at the end of 2021. But they said it would have been 43 million if it were not for um, state funding. So they were heavily reliant on the support from the state, as were the FEI, as were the GEA. I mean, you look, you look at the figures and they're astronomical when you look at them just in black and white. Um, the GEA lost 34 million in 2020 and 33 million in 2021. So if they didn't bridge some of that through what they got from the government, they would have been in serious trouble. Um, 
<laughs> interestingly, because the FEI were, I suppose, managing the hangover from the John Delaney era, they actually posted a surplus in, tw- in 2020 of, one, of one, 1. 1.6 million having uh, registered a 5 million loss the previous year. So due to what happened there and they had to tighten their belts, they had to restructure it. They did get supports from UEFA and from FIFA and, and other places, but they were actually able to, po- to post a profit. I think what's interesting as well is the likes of the League of Ireland clubs, nearly all of them posted a profit for the first time, some of them for the first time in years because their players were able to um, get this the, the, the wage subsidised scheme. They didn't have the, the general overheads and the smaller, especially the smaller clubs who don't really rely, rely on big attendances because they may only get anywhere between 400 and 1,500. So they actually, they, they made money during these times, you know. So um, I think if you look back at it now, it's probably not as, as bad as what you, we thought it could have been at the time. And that's thanks to, to many things, but including the funding from the government. Um, like you look at even the horse racing in Ireland as well, like the... They're down 80, 80% on attendances. They were down 87% on bloodstock sales. And they were down 70-odd percent on the tote, on, on course betting. So it's not just the attendances. There's all these various variables that come in to, to, to boost their coffers. And I think what we're going to see now, as we've talked about, is a big bounce back this year where people really getting back in, the buzz coming, which will could lead to more sponsorship opportunities as well as increased uh, footfall on the ground. So Yeah, Sinead, I mean, commensurately, having people back in the stadium, having fans physically there, it, it, it does actually probably create a greater buzz which actually helps from the revenue stream because it gets 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 more uh, it gets more attention drawn uh, to, to large sporting events. Absolutely. And I think one uh, point that sporting bodies will perhaps need to look at is the way that they generate revenues. Um, at one stage in 2020, the new Munster CEO, Ian Flanagan, spoke about you know the sport being, too, being over-reliant on match day revenues and you know that they needed to identify other ways of generating commercial revenue because they are over-reliant on gate receipts. I mean, Ger mentioned there about the GEA. You look at the GEA, in 2019, their gate receipts was 36 million. In 2020, it was down to 3.6 million. So they, I think sporting bodies will look at different ways of how they will try and generate um, more revenue in, in other different ways. So, I mean, one one feature, and it was there pre-pandemic, of course, are concerts. And we will see Ed Sheeran at Bowman Park. He'll be at Porky Keeve. And this is an important way of generating revenue. You know, we've got Gareth Brooks coming uh, in September with his concerts as well. And that will be a very important uh, revenue stream as well for the GEA. And they probably will start to need to look at alternative ways of generating revenue. God forbid that we ever come across something like this again. So the biggest sporting event of the year will be Garrett Brooks playing at Croke Park later on in later on in the year. It's it's good to be back for fans of of whether it's it's sport or or music or or whatever it is. And thanks very much for joining us. That was Sinead Kassan and Jerk Kevil. I'm Fionan Sheehan and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced and researched by Tabitha Monaghan with sound design by John Smith. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.